Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Schmozone podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Fusion CBD Products. Fusion CBD Products has some of the best products on the market. Those Hydro CBD Drops, the CBD Intense Relief Rub, the Instant Freeze, the Energy and Focus, the Tinctures, the CBD sports water, you name it, they got it. Get yourself some 20% off by using the promo code SHMO by visiting fusioncbdproducts.com. You will not be disappointed. We don't have our water today, haven't had the workout, but I can assure you after the workout today, drinking that water. And the other sponsor for today's podcast is Sheath Underwear, the most comfortable underwear that this guy's ever worn in his entire life. 20% off by using the code SHMO, sheathunderwear.com. They got that dual pouch protector. Look at that good looking guy on the screen right there, the SHMO. Rocking out his sheath underwear in that warm, warm sea in Abu Dhabi. I think our guests, Calvin Cater and uh, Tyson Chartier, oh, I just said it, they're our guests today. They were there in Abu Dhabi. I'm not sure if they saw the SHMO rock in that photo, but uh, yeah, sheath underwear. You will not be disappointed. 20% off promo code SHMO. Let's start the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Schmozone Podcast, episode 32, the Magic Johnson number. I'm Dave Schmolenson, a.k.a. the Schmo. My co-host is... Helen Sports, because I know you love it when I add sports in there. It's the best. I love it. And today's guests are... Calvin Cater. Thanks for having me on. Tyson Chartier. And the 33 is for Larry Bird. <laughs> yes. 33. <laughs> that will be next episode. Oh, we're 32. <laughs> we're 32, my man. All right. This is starting off great. I know you guys are the New England cartel, and I, I, I purposely kind of threw that out there. Number 32, Magic Johnson with the rival Larry Bird. Um, it'll be the next episode. All right. One early. For some reason, I thought you said 33. <laughs> my bad. We can pretend it's 33. Be, I think the magic number here is number six, Bill Russell, but more importantly, the number six featherweight in the world right here, Calvin Cater. One take, schmo, and here you're the uh, you're the pro. I'm the schmo. Not yet, but you could be. Uh, you're wearing the schmo zone T-shirts, by the way. We're sporting the New England cartel yes. shirts. Appreciate the swag. Love it. It's great. Oh, you said schmo. I do have schmo glasses Ooh. for you guys. Fresh. But uh, you know, we talked off camera before. We're going to be building a schmo glasses line. But look, those will do for now. They look the part. They feel the part. And you guys are the schmoes, if you so choose to be. <laughs> Man, with this snows, I might take your spot. <laughs> Look at Looks that great. I like it. You still I got the labels tight. on that one. Yeah, these are like the, uh, what do you call it's it? Vintage. The Sam Rothsteins. I like them. Fresh. 
little different. No, these are smoked. My bad. No disrespect. It's okay. I mean, those tints are a little bit darker than I like, but it's okay. It does the job, and it looks good with your skin tone. I like it. Sets the mood. It, and the tan or the tag. Yeah, right? he's got the tag. Yeah. <laughs> I think that looks good on him. Tags look good on Tyson. Yeah, like for sure, man. Well, I appreciate you guys stopping by. It was a big night for you, Tyson. Um, you got your guy, William Knight, the Nightmare, two hundred five pounds that lightweight getting a uh, light heavyweight getting that ufc contract yeah it was a big night it was a long weekend you know uh he had a little bit of a tough weight cut and he got in some bad spots in that fight we were like Ugh. <laughs> but uh you know i always say he's like the Derek lewis of the light heavyweight division he gets in some bad spots kind of hulks out of it and then comes back and gets a knockout so now he's eight and one with eight knockouts so it was a big night for us big night for him i'm proud of him and uh you know now it's on to the big show for him Huge elbows, but uh, he had a developmental contract prior to now getting the full contract. Can you kind of explain to the audience what a developmental contract looks like or seems like? Because not only, by the way, we didn't introduce you, you're not just the manager, but you're like the head coach, former professional fighter. Or Yep. 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 So you, you wore all the hats. Dad, wife. No, husband. <laughs> wife. <laughs> I got a wife. Um, yeah, so from a paperwork standpoint, he's been a UFC fighter since last year. So he got uh, an eight-fight UFC contract last year with the idea that you're going to go home. You're in the USADA testing pool. So as, from a, a paper trail standpoint, he's been in the UFC for a year. It's just he wasn't fighting in UFC shows. So we got to take him back to Rhode Island, fight in CES. He fought once for CF, CFFC and then another time for CES. He went 2-1. and one. The UFC pays for that. He gets paid UFC money. And... Um, the idea was to get back either right in back into the UFC and the timing matched up where it was perfect to bring him back for the uh you know the contender series again so he got to fight in there again and you know Dana pulled him up last night and told us the next fight would be on a, a UFC event not so he doesn't have to fight locally anymore he's still on that same contract but it's it's official that his next fight will be like an actual UFC fight night or pay-per-view or something like that maybe fight island well he's got a teammate fighting on November 28th Parker Porter um, so he'd like to get on that card. It's a, it's a lot easier when you can go through camp together. So ideally, you know, go back and like, you know, he was on a developmental deal cause he's still very green. He's only been a training for maybe three years total. So a couple extra months for someone like him going through a camp with another heavyweight, um, you know, a teammate that can be on the same card. I, I think it's, you're going to see big improvements, you know, going through cause he's always only trained with small guys. He's just a freak. So I think, uh, I think everybody's a small guy compared to William Knight though. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, uh, he's just a Hulk, man. Was, I, I'm just really proud of him. It was a pretty emotional weekend for him. So uh, you always like to see these guys realize their dreams. And, you know, it was, it was cool to get to share in the experience. For sure. Well, I mentioned Fight Island. And, David, you mentioned that earlier because we saw you guys there. Uh, that win over Dan Ige. I do have to ask you first off, though, how's your mom's chicken parm? I heard it. It's pretty good, right? <laughs> never never a, a, a bad chicken parm. You know, yeah, she's she's uh, the best, man. She I went home after, and uh, we actually got a peach house for the week, which is nice, especially after that long, uh, you know, camp even into the Stevens fight. So spent a week at the beach, did a little R&R, &R, uh, hit the runs on the beach, some bike work and things, but got a lot of good eating in, so um, ready to get back to work. But I saw that you told Mike Heck that you rated your performance, or you graded it a B-minus. Right, yeah, against... I think that's a little high too. <laughs> <laughs> really? Like, I don't know. Like, it, it, all things considered, anytime you get a W is good. But 
Uh, I still a lot of takeaway, a lot of things that I, I could improve on in that fight. You know, a lot of them. But happy to take a win and, and learn off wins. And um, even a little, if you're a little bit beat up, like I've gotten losses where I'm perfectly healthy. But those just sit with you longer. So um, I'm just excited. I, I, a good checkpoint after renegotiating, getting starting off the contract with a win. Main event W, uh, another checkpoint, and now hopefully coming into a, a big fight healthy and uh, with a lot of momentum. We had your dance partner, Dan Ige, in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, too. Both you two, extremely nice guys. The sportsmanship, we displayed that photo on the screen, too. Both your teammates, coaches, I mean, everybody getting together inside the octagon. Uh, two class acts, excellent fight, and, uh, I mean, nothing but good things out of that. And Ty Tyson and Eric's uh, Twitter. You know, I, I read all of that. <laughs> yeah, no, Eric's a good guy, so... You know, you get to spend weeks on the road with some of these guys and you, you, you know, now with COVID you don't, but usually you're sharing a training room the whole week. So you kind of get to see like who's emotionally invested in these fighters and, and who's kind of just there for, you know, just kind of going through the motions. And Eric seems like, you know, he's one of those guys that he's, he's emotionally invested in the fighters. Obviously, you know, he's got a really tight relationship with Ige and uh, me and him have always just kind of like talked shop a little bit about things that, you know, can be frustrating as a coach or things that, you know, you wish you could change or how to be better. And we've always kind of leaned on each other for that. So we've always had a good, like professional relationship. And um, yeah, so we got the fight. It wasn't, you know, that was kind of the first thing we said, oh, it kind of sucks, you know, like fighting them. But, you know, it's business. It's a, it's a sport. We'll have a beer after. I mean, I don't drink, but that's <laughs> figuratively speaking. Um, and from a fighter standpoint with Ige, you know, uh, just... He's out there earning it, earning his opportunities, taking everything in front of him. Some of these other guys are just, uh, you know, it's, it's it's a lot of traffic at the top. So I, I share that mutual respect for him as a fighter where he's out there taking every opportunity in front of him with something to prove, you know. And, and um, so a lot of respect there as well and for the whole team. So it was good to get together after that one, get a good picture. And, and I actually just bumped into him at the UFC PI right now. We just came from there and uh, both getting some work because, you know, it's what happens when you're busy, you get a little, you know, Nicked up, but getting in some uh, some good PT, the best in the business down there with Heather Linden, and um, yeah, back to work. What was the conversation like with the, with you guys? Yeah. Oh, he's actually. Are we allowed to say that? I don't. I wouldn't say what it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, I'm not gonna say it, man. But yeah, just, no, he's he's doing good, and uh, and just back to work, man. I wouldn't expect to see him anywhere else other than the PI. Gotcha. Like not not looking for like injury related stuff. No, but just, no, like, nothing like yeah. that. Just all good things, but not yeah, yeah, good for him. He's doing. It seems like he's. He's in good spirits and he's getting in his work. But, um, yeah, we're both probably excited for another opportunity to step back in there and, and just build off what we're putting together. So you mentioned kind of the traffic jam at the top. And all four of those fighters, I believe, they're booked uh, coming up in Fight Island. Yair Zabit, because that got rebooked for 254. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, I feel like they've been booked several times, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, that definitely <laughs> is true. We're all waiting for that. But is that kind of what you're waiting for? Just, you know, seeing how those fights play out before you... I know. I really try not to wait too long. I'm staying moving. I'm, I'm definitely just trying to be ready for any opportunity that presents itself. But now it's just, let's just see what opportunity, uh, you know, comes out. And with those fights lined up, um, we had an opportunity with the Zabit matchup when Yaya pulled out. And uh, it didn't come to fruition there, but, you know, we offered our services and that's it. We're just trying to stay ready for whatever opportunity that it is. And um, I mean, if you're not ready for the opportunity, whatever comes, you know, it's just trying to stay ready for whatever's whatever's next. So they just denied when you offered to put your name in the hat against the beat. They just denied it. 
They didn't uh, want to go. I didn't expect them to really kind of jump at it. You know, we were busy. We had fought twice since that last one. A lot of people would have liked to have seen a fourth, fifth round. And, um, you know, I, I understand where he's coming from. He hadn't done nothing since that fight. So to want to jump back in there after you, you just came off that fight, maybe it doesn't make the most sense for them. But um, in the long term, that mindset doesn't pay out. You know, staying busy does. And I think with a good big win, uh, you know, coming up in the near future, I think it might put me ahead of him in the long run. Well, you mentioned, sorry, you mentioned staying busy. What do you think of someone like Brian Ortega, who is still ranked very high and hasn't been as busy, and he has that fight coming up against Korean Zombie, which they've tried to book mm-hmm. before as well? I try to be open-minded to, like, injuries and whatever people have coming up, but at some level, you know, it, it, it's only right for the guys that are busy to um, to climb the rankings, I think. At, at some level, it, there's got to be some movement, you know, um, and... I think it favors the guys that are staying busy. Those are the guys you should see climbing. The other guys that are kind of staying still should slow, you know, that they're in their spot. Everyone's got to earn their spot. Yeah, uh, we talked with Dan Ige about that long jump at the top, and everyone makes about the bandweight division, great division, the middleweight division, doing great too, but the featherweight division is extremely strong. Um, there is no clear-cut person for Volkanovski to fight. That's what he's adamant in saying. And then you got Henry Cejudo rumbling. He wants to come out of retirement and fight him. Is that a fight? If that was to come to fruition, would that bother you? Not, not really, because I think he's got probably more to offer than these top four guys. You know, and, and realistically, Max, he's he's come out, come away with you know, two wins. Last one was very close, um, depending on how you'd score that, but. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't see him being too excited to jump at four guys that haven't earned nothing in the past, what, at least a year? Um, right, at least a year, right? No one's fought in a year. Yeah, a year fought in October. Oh, yeah, yeah. But even yeah, then I, I feel like even that win, there's still people I feel like ahead of him. So it's just at a, yeah, it's at a standstill right now. I, from the champ's perspective, uh, you know, whatever he decides to do is up to him. But I could see why he'd almost even focus on something like that with a guy with two belts, a little more upside. But I do respect his mindset where he's out here trying to fight the contenders. You know, he wants to clean out his division first. Similar to Adesanya, I think they're from the same uh, same place, same area, same gym. And so I respect that mindset taking on the com- contenders. And I actually want all the contenders too before I even fight him. I'm not, I, I know it's not the best to say. I, I'd like to fight the champ. Don't, don't get me wrong, the payday's there and all that. And that's definitely what we want, but... I don't mind taking out every contender. The fighter in me wants to take out every contender before I even get that belt. So this way, it's at a standstill for options on the back end of who they can give me. But that's just my mindset as a fighter and see how it plays out. Now, Tyson, you're also his head coach, but his manager as well. So what do you think of just everything, you know, at the top of 145? So you try to look from the emotional standpoint, it's annoying, right? But then you look at it from a business standpoint, it made total sense. Why Zabi wouldn't take that fight? Like, um... You know, he fought down, gave us an opportunity once, and, and unfortunately we didn't get the job done. And, you know, coming here, it doesn't make sense for him to fight us because there's potential. Maybe he holds out and gets that title shot if Alex wants to stay super busy and they don't want the trilogy. He's available with Ortega and uh, Zombie Books, so he'd be the logical guy, right? But um, there's risk in that. You know, there's, you know, who says that we don't turn around and fight Max this fall? He beats Yair, and then now we leapfrog him. So all he had to do was beat us once. He probably gets the title shot. But now we can control the destiny. If we go out and get a nice win, we could leapfrog him. So, you know, it's it's frustrating when you don't see him fighting and then they're lobbying for title shots. And, you know, momentum's a real thing. And I think right now we have it. So, Well, I do want to – I'm not going to play matchmaker here, but thinking about momentum and thinking about the situation, the one guy who's ranked ahead of you guys who doesn't have a fight booked, he's coming off 
two losses. I mean, it's Max Holloway. But then if you look at the other end, guys who are ranked below you, guys who are having momentum, coming off a big win, someone like a Josh Emmett, um, looking at it from both your standpoints, does it make more sense to fight a Max Holloway or fight some of those guys, the Josh Emmett's, that are kind of below you but are still coming up in our top 10 ranked guys? I think it makes sense to try to fight up. We just did, you know, we were just the company man and we fought the number 11 when we were number six. He was 10 when we fought him, but... You know, we took that risk fight of fighting down, kind of paying it forward like Zabit did to us. And then I think I think we've earned that right to fight up now. You know, we we, we lost to Zabit, but I think our stock still went up a little bit. And then, you know, you see what we did to Jeremy Stevens, and then we just went out and beat the, the hottest prospect in the division uh, in a five-round fight. We showed that we established ourselves as a headliner, that we can fight those fourth and fifth championship rounds. So I think we've earned to fight someone like Max. Um, obviously, he's the, the featherweight GOAT, so... You know, the ball is going to be a little bit in his court and then up to what the UFC wants to do. But, you know, we'll raise our hand for that fight all day. Calvin will fight whoever, so. Seems know. like a good fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the winner, uh, I think if you win over Max is just as good, if not better than getting that belt. Like you said, you know, he's the go to the division. So uh, that'd be a great checkpoint, man. Uh, you know, fighting a guy like Max. And I think anybody who beats Max should be next in line for a belt. It's only right. So whoever fights him. <laughs> well, do you think that Max would be a tougher opponent than Alex? That's a good question. I think they both present different, you know, strengths, weaknesses, but um, across that bridge when we get there, I'd like an opportunity at any one of them, and whoever it's going to be, we're going to put together a good game plan and, and really try to make them all adjust to us anyway, go out, do what we do best, and it's rinse and repeat for any one of these guys, one, two, three, four, five, any number. They're going to have to adjust to me, and uh, so I really don't, that's why, like you said, I don't really care who I fight. It's kind of all the same, you know, it's the same demanding camp. I'm going to treat them all like they're the best guy in the world, and I'm going to go and show why I'm better. Powerful statement, but uh, did you have anything to add? No. Okay, just because I want to say I'm very intrigued by kind of your backstory as well, because I read that you took a three-year hiatus, mm -hmm. I believe, back in 2013. So can you kind of give the audience a bit more on your backstory, and during that time, you know, what made you kind of get that fire to come back? It's not that I really lost it because uh, around I believe I was about 25 or something like that, and um, and it just the owner at the time he's the reason the owner of the promotion at the time Dave George uh, Combat Zone, a company that I fought for before I got into the UFC. Um, locally, I'd fought for Dave several times, uh, like eight nine times in my career, and um, I eventually ended up taking over ownership because he was making like three, four times as much money as it was every fight I felt like, and he was having four events a year. I was fighting maybe once twice. Like I said, I was getting up there in age. I just wanted to have some more money in the game and, and being involved with fighting. So I thought promoting would have done it, but <laughs> instead that's more of a pay it forward. But either way, I got involved with promoting for about three years um, in that time frame where I just kind of just hung up the gloves for a short period of time, put it on a standstill because um, being on the other side of the cage is still, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to promoting and um, after I kind of got the team up and running and, and was able to run those uh, more manageably, you know, being around the sport four times a year, seeing the local cage fights and my buddies going in there fighting, I was getting the itch to step in there every time. And, um, you know, about three years later, long enough, but uh, I spoke with Tyson. I met him on set for Here Comes the Boom, that movie with Kevin James and all that. Yes. Yeah. My sister cool. signed me up, and my sister's always the reason why. She, that kid Dave was her best friend, so she's a lot of the reason why. She doesn't get enough credit, she Underrated says. movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. But she's always saying that I never give her enough credit for, you know, Dave was her best friend. I got into fighting because of him. And uh, she signed me up for Here Comes the Boom to be an extra. I met Tyson and all these guys, so... 
you know, I met my my now manager and and uh, just driving down 93. I think Rob Font had a fight coming up at the TD Garden, and uh, I just was naive at the time. Gave him a call and uh, I was like, hey, if anybody pulls out, you know, I always wanted to fight in UFC, so throw my name in. And he's like, but it's not how it works. But <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of broke it down, and then uh, you know, he got me two fights locally, signed back with him, and then uh, to fast forward two years later, I was I was um, on the TD Garden card with Rob Font. You know, it was a pretty wild experience, but. Yeah, yeah. That's trick you. amazing. I had to trick you into taking it. Man, and, and it's <laughs> he did trick me. He's a sly How? guy, man. Because he did the whole signing, comes to my office, sign, takes the picture, and uh, and he wants to announce that, like, I'm out of retirement. And I'm like, all right, well, just wait till we got something booked, you know? Just book something first. And I just kind of leave my foot out the door a little bit, probably. I don't know. Or just kind of not, not rushing it. And then I go on Facebook, and I just see him posting, Calvin Cater signs with top game management after three years, so, like, no shit, now I have to fight, you know? But regardless, put me my back on the wall a little bit and call my bluff. I got in there, and uh, we, we took out two two local opponents, some tough kids, and then uh, made our debut in two weeks' notice for Andre Feely in, uh, in Anaheim. It was pretty wild, but, yeah, long story. But three-year layoff, and, and, um, and I feel like I'm, I'm like, I felt like that three-year layoff was um, was huge because it ended up, the time frame at that time when I made my layoff, I was number one. Rob Font was number two. Double fact check that number one, <laughs> number two in New England at 145. And we probably would have uh, eventually fought because back then you fight the best guys around, you know, to get in the UFC. That was the mindset. Then Tyson had, had you know, had the foresight, he wanted to work with us. He had met me on Here Comes the Boom. And uh, he's like, No, I like Calvin, I like Rob. I, there's no reason why we both can't get to the UFC, um, you know, and, and eventually maybe be training partners. And um, he had more of a bigger picture. Um, mindset you know than a lot of the local guys trying to take out the best competition and it's you know fast forward three years later Ralph wants my number one training partner and um and we're both in the UFC 35 45 is going for the belts amazing so, yeah so what was the conversation like then to get you to to separate weight classes to not both be 145ers to have rob be a 135 i think rob just got a like when we started training guy to realize how big i was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no so when when uh rob got to i think 10 and 1 he was on like a nine fight win streak he came into the ufc but we we pulled him down to 35 to go to the ufc so we fought 45 locally so that's why they were in the same weight class but then the idea was we'd go down to 45 to go you know, we sent him down to HET. We had him train with a bunch of their 45ers, and he was like, oh, I feel kind of small. But he was relative and competitive with the, all the 35ers. So we moved him down for that debut against George Roop. Let's go back to you then, Tyson. Because yeah. uh, I think uh, Helen's got a little surprise uh, photo here that she's got in yes. store here. You have a history of being a fighter. Once upon a time, <laughs> don't years, you? Right? The golden I years. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd it I go? Was I was. Uh, That's under there. December. Yeah. December second, two thousand ten. I think that was my pro debut. There it is. I right. They were like, "Hey, pose." I, I don't know why I did that. Were you but. Were you shaving pose. your hair back then, or right? was already yeah, gone? I, could, I, could I, grow hair. I shaved it. Yeah. Looks good, man. You look like a killer. I was. You're shredded. I was good, man. You're shredded. I always joke around. I was like, I was talented. I just. I never had, I got into it a little bit late. I had fun with it, but I always knew like my knack was coaching. Like uh, even in high school wrestling, I was a decent wrestler, but I had a knack for cornering the guys when they were fighting, you know, for wrestling and just kind of understanding like knowing what to do, but I couldn't always execute myself. I was better at like having a, you know, my little brother was a stud wrestler and I would corner him for his matches and stuff. And it's just, it was like remote control. It was awesome. So I think the fighting, I, I never had delusions of going to the UFC. I, we'd have guys come in for camp and stuff like that and uh that were in the ufc and i i would hang but it was never my goal to go there i, I knew i was a little older and 
didn't have my pro debut till I was 30. So, um, but it, it's all foundations in the house that we've built now, which, you know, I can get in these guys' heads, probably unlike someone that's never fought and, um, you know, just understand like kind of all aspects of it. You know, I'm a coach, I'm a manager, but I also fought. And um, I think it keeps me well-rounded. When did you decide to get into the management side as well? When I booked my first fight. <laughs> when you realized oh, there was more money. Your... Yeah, I never had a manager. We had, yeah. <laughs> I, had, I never had a manager. There was a manager at the gym that we were at, and um, he came over to me. I was already 3-0 and as an amateur, and I, I started going to the uh, Tong. And he came over. He was like, I managed all the guys in the gym. I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I, I'll get my own fights. And I think it was like 2009, I fought five times. And, and then Rick Hahn was my number one training partner at the time, the judo Olympian. And he had fought like five times that year. And the rest of the gym together had fought five times. So me and him were very active. And then some of the amateurs were like, hey, can you, my, my training partners, my buddies, can you get me a fight? And that's how it started. I just got a friend to fight. And then another kid, can you get me a fight? And then Rob Vaughn's watching us train. I'm like, are you trying to fight? He's like, yeah, I'd love to. I was like, well, you got to train with us. He's like, I thought I had to be invited. I was like, nah, man, just come and train. <laughs> and the next day the head coach is like, if you're not invited to this practice, you can't be here. And Rob's put his head down. They're trying not to make eye contact. And and then six months later, we got Rob his first fight. So um, it was never something I tried to do. No one in their right mind would want to be a manager. It's just, it's just you know, there's a lot of blame. There's never a lot of thanks. And, you know, you're not getting rich off of this. It's, Same you with it, the promoter, man. Yeah, it's you do it because you, you love it. You do it to give back. And it started out with the best interest is that I want to help my friends. And we've kind of kept that, uh, you know, that same, uh, that goal the whole time. But that's what makes this such a unique and special sport. And what other professional sport out there can you get someone who could coach, who can manage, handle all the contracts and everything like that, be a former fighter, and pretty much wear all those different hats and run a business and get this thing going? Like, it's, it's such a unique and a special thing, especially during this pandemic, too. Think about everything going on. First sport to come back was the was MMA, was the UFC. And we have events every single week. Fastest growing sport in the world. Where else do you get these opportunities? Where else do you see it? The only thing that comes to mind, I brought up number six, Bill Russell, because Bill Russell back in the day was uh, all, was a player coach. You know, He played for the Celtics, won the championships, and then won championships coaching them, too, as a player coach. That's the closest thing we have, and that was at least four, five, six decades ago. Yeah, no, it's cool. And you're starting to see a new crop of coaches coming through, guys that fought in the UFC, like guys like Joe. I know I know Joe's still active, but now he's got a bunch of guys that are under him that he coaches. Oh, Joe Lozon. Yeah, you're starting to see a bunch of guys like that that yeah. are now kind of, and there's some guys that are already retired that are transitioning into coaches. So you're starting to see that that first generation of UFC fighters having their own gyms and coaching young guys. Randy Couture down the right. street, Extreme Couture. And they're yeah. eating good. Stress eating. And Dan Ige said on here, too, that he wants to get into management when he hangs up uh, you know, 10 years down the line, too. Hopefully so we get some of these former fighters into the uh, scoring, judging. You know, that's true. That's what we yes. yeah. Man, how much does that piss you off? Yeah. I mean, granted, like, look, I mean, sometimes when the fight goes the distance, it's going to go in the judges' hands. But why do we see uh, referees like the Herb Deans and the Mark Goddards that have professional careers and then get into refereeing, but we don't see the same thing for the judges? I don't understand You can that. see the difference in, in the um, refereeing as well, the ones that have had that experience a lot of times, you know. Mm. I, yeah, no, there definitely needs to be an overhaul in the scoring and the judging, but I think the easiest fix is just, okay, let's put five judges at every fight instead of four, instead of three. So at least minimize the risk, you know, in an error. But 
That's I want to see live scoring too. I, I, not that it really affects it so much, but what, what, you know, why not have live scoring? Live scoring would be great. Like, so I just cornered Tony Martin against Neil Magny. All right, yeah. so you have Neil Magny just went out and smashed Robbie Lawler, right? You have Tony Martin fights him on June six. In my opinion, we won the first and the second round. They were garbage rounds, but we won. You know, we fought him like he fights everybody else. He kind of pushed against the cage, makes it a little dirty, makes it boring. You know, we had his back for two minutes in the first round against the cage. We got a takedown in the second round. Not really much happened, but we controlled the rounds. Third round, he, you know, we got tired. He beat us up, and then he gets a 30-27 win. Like if there's live scoring. We're irritated during the fight, but we know we have to push harder in the th in the second or the third and go for those finishes. Whereas you think you're kind of you know you're tired, you think you won the first two rounds, and you're like, all right, just don't get finished. The fight's mine. You know, you're trying to get that second paycheck. Um, that that potentially could change the outcome of that fight, and you know it sucks because now someone like Tony's banking on winning those first two rounds, goes into the third, loses the round, and then ends up losing the fight. We were all kind of surprised, and then now he's sitting here as a free agent, wondering if they're going to resign him. Well, Neil Magny's now, you know gets a new contract and fights Robbie Lawler in the co-main event. It's like, you, okay, so you lose to Damian Maya and Neil Magny and they don't know if they want to resign you? This, it's just crazy. It's, it's, it's literally you're putting somebody's career in the hands mm -hmm. of those types of people. We have all the technology. They're putting all the tweets, those live tweets, how people, they're putting everyone's yeah. names on the broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. Why not do that for 15 scoring? 15 of the 20 scored it for Tony. Neil Magny, the most important judge, walked right over to us after and says, I didn't win that fight. You won that fight. So... When you have Neil Magny saying like you won the fight, he's a good dude, you know. This is no, th none of this is his fault. Like you have him saying after the fight, like I, you won that fight. You have 15 of the media people saying that we won the fight out of 20, and then you have somehow two of the judges saying that we lost 30-27, the other one 29-28. It's just, it's tough. It Maybe, could be better. It could be. Maybe you experimented with the contender series, not this season, but the next season. But you have one of those judges be like for the live digital audience that's watching. Maybe the UFC picks a pool of uh, former fighters. If they want to do media members, sure, go for it. But make it former fighters. Make it whoever they want. And then make a live poll. Use Twitter. Utilize social media and make that part of the judging system. I don't understand why they don't try it. The NBA, I brought that up before, uh, has tried a lot of different things during their summer league about doing those challenges and and, and different buttons for, for <clears throat> coaches to press and stuff like that. Why not try the same thing with MMA? I think you could also, if you had some little accountability for the decisions, like if someone has to do a report, you know, you go to the doctors, mm. you go to the police, whatever, they have to write a report after. Why are these judges not having to write down interesting reasons they want? Yeah. Oh, I scored, this, I scored this first yes. round for Neil. Well, why? Yeah. You know, I don't even think they could explain it. But I, I think if there's a little bit more accountability, I think that would help weed out the people that truly don't understand the, what they're looking at. Real quick, last thing on Anthony Rocco Martin. We saw him at ATT in, in Fort Lauderdale. Did he did did he go up to you in New England? Does he train with you guys? Was he just there training? What's his primary camp? So when Tony was zero and one in the UFC, he came out. Uh, his uh, wife at the time went to grad school in Boston, so he moved from Minnesota to Boston, and then he came and uh, checked out the gym that we were at, and I met him the first day he was there. I was actually the first round that he sparred. I'm like, oh, this kid's not that good. <laughs> he was just like, he was just gassed out coming off a knee surgery, and then, um, so me and him just really bonded. I courted him for a lot of his fights when he was with us, and then they moved down to Florida, and then he went to HET, and when he moved to Florida, we, you know, I was like, listen, you gotta move up to 170, and um, he got down there training with those guys, and he did, so that's when he moved to Fort Lauderdale, and then now he's in Atlanta with the Lima brothers in Jacau. Gotcha. So that's the connection. Is he lived in Boston for years, and me and him are still. We own a gym together in Minnesota, um, Star PJJ Minnesota. Me, him, and Brock uh, Larson. 
So we're still tight. And um, Around that time is when I had my debut for the UFC, and I remember I was sparring Tony for – he had an upcoming fight where it was getting a little trippy and sparring, and, and uh, I was just – you know, I think it was traveling that summer a little bit too. So I'm coming in after a couple trips and getting in there on the weekends because he needs some work. And man, it was like it was like a fight. I remember uh, for his upcoming fight, he got real chippy. But those rounds, I think, served me the best for when I fought Andre Feely um, on the short notice fight. Because I was just like, they don't punch like Tony at 55 uh, when he's getting chippy a couple weeks out from a fight. Just got me prepared for that level. Of, you know, of going with Tony, and then uh, and, and then make my debut with the 45. So it was a good transition. Tony's a beast. Earlier, you mentioned Rob Font. Is there any update on when he'll be returning or expected to? So ideally, late November, early December. We've told the UFC that. Like, they reached out the other day asking for, like, kind of an update where he's at. I spoke with the PI. They're really happy with how his knee looked uh, in Fight Island. He, he was going to be here with us this weekend, but something came up. Um, I talked to the surgeon on the phone the other day. He's really happy with how everything looks. So we're just going to sit down with the surgeon at the end of the month and just dot that I, cross the T, and then get the 100% to go into a camp but ideally you know coming off an injury like that um there's no need to rush it back for like an october fight or anything like that so um i think the plan would be see the surgeon end of september and then get that 100 percent sign off and then start pushing sean for you know what's next uh we didn't get your predictions on what's going to happen with some of those fights with with zombie and ortega and yair rodriguez prediction guy especially I when i don't really care about the fight true <laughs> you know but, they, but these are these are your future opponents yeah no i mean i care more about who's uh, when when they win are you know they're gonna get the focus that's the guy i'm gonna you know try to go after but um i think it's a little premature to kind of for me I, we got to see it actually yeah, happen may, yeah maybe or take a smith so maybe zombie knocks him out I, whenever you say a fight i feel like to you know say one of two ways who can get off there you know implement their game plan or, like if you see in that fight, you're going to expect either, or you're not going to expect Ortega to probably maybe knock out Zombie. Not that it can't happen, but everyone's kind of, you know, right? I, I would say Ortega maybe by submission or Zombie by knockout. And then from there, who, who gets the job done? Yeah. You know? No, it's but, interesting because I can't think of another division where uh, two fights in the top five that have, have to have been rebooked multiple, multiple times. Yeah. yeah. So I, that's why I like <laughs> picture maybe when it got booked three times ago and then they asked, it's like, I think at this point, it's like, let's just see it happen. We'll see who wins, you know, move forward. But, um, yeah, I'm just excited that there's movement. I, I'm not hating on it. Let's get to work, man. You know, holding things up. That's fair. That's I, fair. And I think, you know, they want to either should have get off the pot too. They, I'm sure they're not happy being in the top five. I'm sure they all want that belt. So the only way to get it is just get busy. And uh, and I hope it's with me. <laughs> well, speaking of entertainment, uh, I know everyone's been talking about Brock Lesnar. Uh, he might be <laughs> done with uh, the WWE contract. Yeah. He's forty three years old. We just saw DC retire once. He, you know, he's 40, 40 years old. He might be forty one now. Yeah. But DC, you know, t at least two three years younger than him, retires. He's over forty. I mean, not everybody's Randy Couture where they could be a champion uh, in their in their forties. But man, like what? Do you even want to see him return back to, to MMA? Well, just real quick, I think that Cormier still got a, a good amount more fights he could do in him if he wanted to. But he he's just, to. right, he's just, he think he's had enough. But could, is he capable? Yeah, he could probably still earn himself maybe another title shot, you know, but. Well, fans. I just uh, don't want to put in that. It's tough. That's a tough road back. It's a lot of commitment, a lot of time. It's not a one fight right back type deal. It's it's a lot, you know. Well, he's a company guy yeah, in the yeah. sense that he people think he might be taking over for Dana White when it's all said and done. <laughs> yeah, I heard that too. Be I the like president it. of the UFC. Not a bad move. He's a good business guy, and he's he's really really talented as a broadcaster. He seems genuinely nice too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you know, it's it's hard. You know, 
he just did that video with William Knight last night where William's like, I'm like DC, I'm short. And then he's like, and he looks the same. Look at the, my body's just like his. And it was pretty funny. But Brock Lesnar, you want to see him? I mean, let, let him do what he wants. But yeah. it's like, you know, when you're built on Mexican supplements, you know, he's, <laughs> he's pop positive before. I don't oh, think it's yeah. a secret that he does. The last stuff time he and, fought, was yeah. it UFC 200, Mark Hunt? So I'm saying, like, it's no, no, it's no secret that. He's done stuff, so I, I don't think comparing his age to... And he's never cut weight. So you have Daniel Cormier that's cut weight up until his mm. 40s. You know, those cuts to 205 probably, you know... They always say those these weight cuts take years off your life and, and or your career, and, and, and it's true. So Brock's been a heavyweight. He hasn't really had to cut weight. He's been able to take extra stuff to stay motivated and recover and stuff. So you know, it'll be interesting to see. And Calvin, growing up, who was your favorite fighter to watch? Uh, originally, it was Chuck Liddell. And then, uh, and then Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz. I'm a fan of the Diaz's. I actually got the opportunity to train with them back in the day after like going into my third fight. I believe I was probably like 19 or something like that. Blew my mind out there, that West Coast training and that lifestyle. I brought as much of it as I could uh, back home with me and started just changing the way I was training up. My gym at the time was only open like 6 to 8 p.m. And, um, and, then I went out there, I just see six, seven year olds shrimping on the mats at like eight, nine AM. <laughs> it's just another level. So I came back and uh made some adjustments, uh had to do what I had to do and um but yeah, it was it was pretty wild. I'd say the Diaz's and um and, and Liddell back in the day mostly. Didn't they just announce the rematch, right? They're in the Nate works and Jorge. Of, yeah, putting like the it. BMF BMF yep. belt back on the line. I like it. It's a good fight. It's one one of the fans I want to see, I'm sure, probably more than the Lesnar one too, maybe, but you know, how do you not like those guys? Just going in, you know what you you get what you expect you're gonna get when they step in there. You know they're both gonna go in there and pretty much do what they did last time. But if you're Leon, heads off. but if you're Leon Rocky Edwards, what do you do? I'm man? pretty pissed off. I'm, yeah. re I'm real pissed off. Listen, uh, yeah, you can't. Yeah, that's that's that's. I want to see him and Orhaim Hospital fight. You know, I'm they with had that the altercation. Too. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I want to see stand. a lot of shit, man. I want to see Connor Diaz three. I, I want to see a lot of shit too. There's a lot of opportunities in there, and uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Leon Edwards, he he's another one. He's earned everything too. Give him a sh give him a shot. But um, I think that's a little um, traffic jam at the top over there too, right? Yeah, but it is. Good problems to have if you're the UFC. Very right? good problems and huge fights. I yeah. mean, I cannot wait for the Costa uh, Adesanya fight, and obviously I'm pumped for that. Gaethje yeah. and Habib. Great fights. There's so many good fights coming up. I I can't wait for all those. But yeah, I agree with you, man. I wanted to see uh, Diaz three uh, with uh, McGregor. Yeah. I thought that was going to happen. Like, it's not. I'm telling you, man. That's why you say all these fights come. I, I, they're all maybes. Everything like I. Then they promote them so early now. Uh, except for as of recently, it's been kind of felt like they've been promoting fights that are happening in three weeks, and they just kind of putting them together quick. But understandably so. But um, you know, how many times these fights, I think Rob said he's never fought one person he's ever been scheduled or contracted to fight. So it's like, how do you get high with the highs, low with low? You just kind of, all right, maybe on fight week, they'll show up. We'll see. Exactly. You yeah. have to go with the flow. And that's yeah. why the UFC went to having a lot of replacement type fighters. And I'm not going to go in there and make any assumptions or anything like that. But what's your thoughts? What happens if one of these fights at the top, uh, somebody falls out, they call your name. Would you step up? Would you take it? I mean, my record says I will. <laughs> I haven't said no yet. Um, and that's the funny thing. So these guys call me. I'm like, Sean, did I, have I said no yet? <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. These guys, I, I just think the mentality is a little different. Um, but we'll, we'll let these fighters find that out for another day when they sign that out agreement.
I mean, there's two of them, and they've all fallen apart. It's it could happen. Could yeah, happen. Yeah. So I, I mean, maybe we get one of those options. I hear some of these guys getting paid to cut, you know, to be on weight and uh, right. And, and but I I think the UFC already probably knows that I'm already chomping at the bit to get in there anyway that they probably don't even need to do that for me they save <laughs> a couple bucks his kids foaming at the mouth to get in there against one of them anyway maybe we'll call him a week out who knows interesting yeah what do you think about that i think it's like easy to say what you would or wouldn't do but there's a lot that factors into it like you know things come up at home when you when you don't have a bout agreement like so this kid like if you say training camp we're out of 10 right i would say he hovers around like a six or a seven without a bout agreement which I would argue most fighters are around a two or a three, you know? So he's always eating like a professional. He likes to have his snacks and stuff, but for the most part, he gets his healthy food in. Um, he Love gets his snacks. two workouts at a day, whether even if he's not <laughs> in camp, he's still working out twice a day. It's just the intensity is different, you know? Um, but that, that last fight we took on, you know, we got the call June 15th, fought July 15th, went five rounds, and he was coming off, you know, May 9th fight where he had a broken nose and he was still ready. So, um, you factor all that in like okay where are we at how how's his training level been at where's his weight at like has he been getting you know the proper amount of work and the answer with him is generally always going to be yes but you know it's easy to say that but then when that call comes you you, you know your little computer in my brain factors all the stuff into it i call him i see what his temperature is it's always like what do you think ty <laughs> if you think it's the right move let's do it you know and, uh, and then it's always you know and then we go and do it so yeah, I mean, yeah, with Tyson, Tyson is your manager. You're usually pretty busy, so it's best to stay near your weight and ready to go. How do you manage to do both? I think it's easier. I think I have an really? advantage. You know, like I think some I've heard horror stories about other managers calling the you know from other coaches that the manager calls offers them a fight. They're like, nah, you know that one doesn't make sense. We can't make weight that fast. We'll fight that kid at you know at 35, not 25. But you know, and then the contract comes over 25. And then like, what the F? Like we said, no, They're like, yeah, no, 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 you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I talked to the nutritionist you'll figure it out. So it's, I think me having the hand on the pulse a lot more, I think there's a sense of trust too. Like I'm never trying to sell them on something where, um, I'm, well, he's getting a cut or whatever I make. So generally speaking, I know he wants to make the most money. So he's going <laughs> to sign me up with the fights that set the, the, you know, set me in that trajectory. So we're yeah, on the same side, man. We, you know, we like making money. We like taking fights. But also and, it's like knowing like when you're on the mats with them and like seeing their temperament and stuff like that, like I, I think I can dictate like knowing what a better, a good matchup is versus a bad matchup is. Um, and then, you know, you're kind of playing both sides. So I think I have a little bit of an advantage. Um, plus it's like, I don't, I wouldn't trust another manager with them. I see them all, how much they lie, how much they're in it for the money and they're scheming. And I think a lot of these other managers, you know, I won't say names, but I feel like they're, you know, they're, they're working on the UFC's behalf and not the fighter's behalf. And I think that's why you'll never see me with a hundred guys in the UFC is I'm always going to do what's best for Calvin, not what's best for the UFC. And, and that, that's healthy friction. You know, that's what, that's what my job is, is to advocate for him and do what makes sense, not be ridiculous to the UFC, but stand up when it makes sense and, and, and agree when it makes sense. One less check to write, too. I mean, do you get a premium price because you get the role of both or what? <laughs> I get the two-for-one special. That's right. I think he's got a good setup. Yeah. But if you want, I mean, if you're not no. happy and you want to go more, we can go more. <laughs> but but uh, I'm curious on the legal side of stuff, too. Do you read the, like, I know you read them, but do you have, like, a like I have a, a lawyer that's lawyer a general that counsel for Top Game. Excellent. So he, he reads over everything, all the, you know, any sponsorship stuff that comes over, the contracts, all that stuff. And I leverage him. I bring him out to lunch quite a bit. And he, he's awesome. He's, he also trains. He's a purple belt. And uh, his name's Mike Chen. 
And, um, you know, he's looking to actually get into the his NFL certification soon. So we got some stuff we're talking about for down the road to grow top game in the brand, but, you know, do it the right way. But, yeah, I have, you know, from the UFC contracts, it's like you can have a lawyer look at them and read them all you want. They're not going to change it, you know. <laughs> so, but it's just you're looking at, like, the, the stuff that you actually negotiate, you're looking to make sure that's in there and stuff like that. You mean for the number six featherweight in the world, you can't demand like first class tickets, you know, extra perks, you know, the bigger, <laughs> larger room and the dub things, in the hotels? Are, no, those are things you can negotiate in. But it's uh, it's as far as like, you know, the out clauses and all that stuff, like they're going to tell you to pump rocks. For sure. You got to show up. You got to do your media obligations that week of you. And uh, that's the that's just the path you got to take. Yeah. We don't have to do it. We get to do it. That's yes. it. It's a good formula. Then you get to talk to good people like Helen and uh, the Schmel. guy with the yellow glasses. <laughs> I love Schmel. it. No, it's fun. We love uh, we love covering this stuff. We love talking to talking to you guys and making it happen. I see you guys working hard, Grindance. I mean, seeing you at every show. Um, didn't know originally, and then you know, obviously the ridiculous questions with you and Dana and going viral and. But I see the work ethic behind it, man. It's, you don't just show up here in Vegas with your own, uh, you know, podcast show, it's the Schmo Zone. Uh, so props to you. Shout out to you for getting this platform going for us to come out here and, and do this. Curious to know, what was your initial impression when he asked Sana that question? Uh, I mean, you can be honest. No, my, <laughs> what was the exact question exactly? Exactly again. Um. Do you want me to, to yeah, do the whole thing? Yeah, react, react. Look at the voice. Give him, ta- uh, be Dana, take hey, off right, the hat. I got this. I got this. Take I'll off be, your hat. Yeah. I'm going to be professional right now. <laughs> All right. Hey, Dana, it seems like a lot of these top 155ers are making the jump to 170. And a lot of these 170s are jumping down to 155. What's it going to take to get a 165-pound weight division? Maybe a Grand Prix? (laughs) Has he answered that question yet? Uh, I I, I lost my train of thought. What was it? Maybe Grand Prix? Uh, uh, Shit, uh, Grand Prix? Uh, a lot of the people want to see. When I say people, I mean the schmo. What do you think? Uh, um, a lot, and the uh, rest is history. Rest is, so, so what happened after I did that? Um, I, I remember telling my dad and, and Helen. Those are literally the only two people I talked to. Helen called me right after the moment. Um, I said, "Look, this is either going to make me or break me. This is going to. I'm going to be kicked out, or you know, uh, they're going to like me. Like I'm going to be some sort of hero." I spent, it was the last time I could spend money out of my own pocket to go to an event. It was UFC 236 um, in Atlanta. And um, I had the last question. They were hesitant to even give me the mic because <laughs> I had this local affiliate TV station as my credential um, in some small, small part of California. And uh, and basically I asked that question and then literally the, the fight was the next day. So I get there. I went up to the concourse to say hi to uh, a trainer, uh, a football trainer, actually, who was out there, just one of his guys. I think Max Griffin was his buddy. He did some, like, conditioning work with him. I went him in the lobby, said hi to him, and I didn't realize I got bombarded by fans to take photos because it never happened to me before. That was the first (laughs) moment. I come downstairs, my videographer, uh, TW, shout out to him. He's a great dude. Uh, He's like, look, uh, the UFC's looking for you. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, uh, you know, uh, this woman, Lene, was looking for you. And I'm like, oh, shoot, this is either going to be really good or real bad. So Lene comes up to me. She's like, oh, uh, Dana wants you to interview him. Do you want to interview him now or later? 
Um, and I'm like, uh, she's like, you should probably do it now because he might forget later after the fight. And I'm like, okay, let's do it now. She's like, are you ready? I'm like, well, this is my moment. If I'm ever going to be ready, now's the time. So she walked me back there. I go into Dana's suite. Shaq walks in eating his freaking <laughs> fried chicken. So I had Shaquille O'Neal watching. That's awesome. And I give him this interview. It's on the YouTube channel. And um, we built the relationship from then on forward. That's awesome. So proud. Yeah, it was great. I, I remember Helen uh, texted me or called me right afterwards, and some of the like MMA fighting journalists at the time, uh, uh, oh, they were looking. Oh, you blew up on Twitter. They were like, yeah. oh, uh, uh, like, "Oh, you're dating Helen? You're dating?" Because people didn't know we were dating at that time too. And then I guess all the MMA media found out we were dating from that time too. So it killed two birds with one stone. The TMZ. The TMZ. I like it. It was man. the shades, man. I think it was the shades. The shades, man. Said, so, man, who's that? Asking them questions. Well, I had a, I had like a double layered vest with the jacket yeah, too. Was, it was one of my best, uh, best schmo outfits at the <laughs> time too. So I dressed for the occasion. I was so nervous, man. I was shaking. I, and I don't get nervous for interviews or anything anymore. Like in very beginning of broadcasting, I used to get nervous, but like I literally knew in the moment I had to say this. I had thought of that question thoroughly. And uh, yeah, why don't we have a hundred sixty five pound weight division still, right? Exactly. I know a lot of people in the middle hurting right now. Habib and GSP. If that fight happens, True. exactly. GSP is like thirty nine years old. It'd be too much for him to cut all yeah, that weight. Makes sense. To one fifty five. He hasn't fought there before. He's done one eighty. He's done one seventy. That's Habib, how you introduce a new weight class. Yeah. That's how you introduce yeah. a new weight class. Let's get it done. What do you think, Tyson? About the weight class? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's tough because. Like my career, I, I'm short as hell, you know. So I'm not a 170 pounder, but I was walking at like 183, and that's how I looked. So it's like me cutting to 85. I mean, it's 55 was was tough, you know. And then, but fighting at 170, I was fighting guys like Rocco Martin. It was like it was it was a lose lose. I was either cutting too much weight, or I was fighting guys that had frames that were way too big for me. So if they had, I, I did end up doing a lot of catch weights at like 60 or 65, and um, it was way more suitable, you know. So I, I just. If they could change it up a little bit, like do you know, 55, 65, 75, 85, and then even 85, they throw in a 95. Like I don't, they, they want title fights. They they can have more title fights if they have more weight classes. What about what they do at one FC or one championship where they they test your body weight and then they make you fight within that that way? I mean, yeah. So they do I, hydration tests. The hydration tests, yeah. So like they keep they're, they're pumping all this money into like, oh, we're gonna figure out how to make weight cutting safe. It's like listen, like weight cutting's not safe. Like the it's like saying how to make like murder not hurt or something. I don't know. <laughs> the bad Let's try that again. Try that again. Was, <laughs> try run, that again that man. <laughs> run that back. Run that back. Yeah. That it's like, almost as a what? I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, weight cutting is never going to be safe. So the only way to get rid of it is just to eliminate it. And and then one FC, you know, they say they do it, but I heard that's even kind of sketchy behind scenes. You know, closed door weigh-ins and stuff like that. I don't really buy any of it. But um, yeah, just. Figure out what these guys walk at, and then and then fight it that weight. Like I think it's gonna sh initially it's gonna shuffle around some divisions, um, so you might lose. But then there's gonna be new 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 rivalries made, new good matchups that people are gonna be excited about, and you know you're gonna see these guys perform way better too. And um, so I just think if they really wanted to get rid of weight cutting, they could. I just think right now it's let's pretend like we're trying to get rid of weight cutting because we have you know it's. Just like all the COVID stuff, like we have to go through the motions here. <laughs> but a lot of people think it's kind of BS. Whoa, some whoa, people whoa, don't. Touchy subject. Touchy yeah, no. subject. Slow down, man. I wear my mask everywhere. I've been tested all week. I go through, and I'm not mad about it. It's just, it's just what you have to do. So, I just wish we didn't have to cut weight. Part of the game. 
part of the game. Uh, one thing, though, I want to ask you guys. You guys are the New England cartel. You got that New England era. Um, the sponsor, the clothing sponsor of the UFC is Reebok. They're based in that area. Do you guys get some extra perks, man? You got to build that relationship if you haven't. At least ride it out till while well, they still have it. I think they're still doing the shoe deal through the Venom through the Venom sponsorship. But don't you guys get hooked up extra for being there and being the New England cartel? At the beginning, it was like extreme. Like I would have like a pallet of boxes show up at my house of extra swag. Like we were in the seating program and. We actually went, we took teams into headquarters a lot to like work with the different, like the fabric team, the colors team, like the the, the street, you know, the casual, uh, the classics team, like meet with all the different divisions to talk about like what fighters liked, what they didn't like. We The shorts they're using now, we tested five years ago and like did reviews on, they came into the gym, we wore them in a bunch of different environments and gave feedback. So we were part of that whole design and development. But I think once they realized like, all right, this deal's probably not gonna get renewed, like they, they, they dialed a lot of stuff back and kind of went a little bit of a different direction but we, you know if i if i bug the guy he'll he'll reach out and like when we went to moscow he sent us a bunch of swag like for the whole team to wear out there and you know some of it's pretty cool and but it's it's not like it was at the beginning so but maybe when they pull out they'll have still you know a budget for mma and i think that would be best suited to go to the local guys what do you think of the new venom deal i was just gonna ask is that still is that still happening <laughs> <laughs> We're thrilled. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I'm curious. I want to see what comes out. I had Dana sitting in that seat, and I, I pinned him in that question. I said, hey, you know, is it going to be Nike, Under Armour, or here's my dark horse, Venom? Because I had some inside birdie information that was going to be Venom. But my thought process with this Venom deal is that just like uh, how Nike bought out Hurley and to have like a surf division, Venom would be purchased by Nike to be their MMA division. So I think they would be under that Nike umbrella those are just the rumors I'm thinking or I'm hearing. Maybe a little bit of both, but if like that, if that makes was sense, the plan, then they wouldn't have Reebok still doing the shoes. Well, I just think that that's still kind of wishful thinking. I don't think that's been materialized yet. If that's going to be the be the plan, so and, and right. until that happens, you need shoes. Reebok, right. Reebok's there. Plus, Reebok just shelled out all that money with the the Zags and stuff. They have Connor. They have a B promoting that stuff. All you guys are wearing it. I know you were wearing a, a form of it at Fight Islands. Those those white ones with the green bottoms. Yep, yep. I saw them. We got the black ones with the orange bottoms. I like the way you think, man. You interested in doing management at all? <laughs> you could use a good relationship at Reebok. Hey, I I am an entrepreneur at heart. First and foremost, the that, character. Man, man, I like it. I like. I'm it. an entrepreneur, man. I I'm, I'm totally down to talk we business. We need to get we need to get T like uh, the T zone. He's got his hat backwards. Got the muffin through the. Oh come on. Through this. <laughs> Be I, I his think size. with the Venom, I think logo. A lot of people first heard it, they like they were kind of confused. And like back in 2014, 15, when you could still get sponsors, like I would literally have some fighters say, "Listen, I will pay. I, I will fight in this for free rather than getting paid to wear the Venom." Just because it was a very like Brazilian, you know, look to it. It was kind of that old school tap out feel. So maybe they'll update, you know, the the look of it and make it more modern, like mainstream. Because right now it's very old school MMA vibe. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, I heard some people say they really do love their equipment and they love their fight shorts. So and it could be end up being a really good thing and we're all going to look silly for questioning it. So I think we'll see what happens. But hopefully uh, it just makes things better. And the, if the fighters can make more money off it, I think that's a, that'll be a good thing too. But we'll see how that works I out. I love me some Venom if we start making <laughs> more money off it. I love me some Venom. Well, isn't that what they said? Remember in Fight Island, was it... The who was it that did that press conference? And then they said, um, 
fighters would make more money from that venom which pre- which press conference in fight island i know which one we there were so many i know which one is it the end of the trip the beginning the middle towards the end when it was announced the venom deal what was oh that oh i know who you're you talking about I'm the saying? coo of yeah. the ufc Hunter. no no yeah. he does the the, the legal epstein oh, lawrence. Okay, lawrence lawrence epstein no relation to Jeffrey. I was going to say, gotta throw Lawrence the Lawrence Epstein. in there. Gotta throw the Lawrence. He came in, he was wearing his golf shoes, he came right off the links, uh, uh, the Yas links, and uh, he came in there, did the press conference, and he, he was great, well-spoken. You haven't you haven't heard much of him uh, talking to the media, but he was great. Yeah, he answered all the Venom questions. Then I think when someone asked Dana, like, how are the fighters making more money, he was like, I, I don't know. And they're like, well, how much more? And he didn't really have any details, but... Obviously, he's got a lot on his plate, so I don't. Maybe he doesn't know the details. So I don't know. What was that? Um, what was the Venom deal inked for? How much what was? Nobody really knows any of the numbers. That's the problem. Those weren't disclosed. Right. Those weren't disclosed. But what he did say was it was larger than the mm-hmm. the Reebok. Yeah. We so got that means that anything. New cartel account. Yeah. That's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, where do we get these New England cartel shirts? Where where can we tell the audience to go? So if you go, I know I have the link in my Instagram bio. So. You can go. Uh, Mine will be there. Yeah, I think after this week. Yeah, just my my Instagram there. Just go there, and then the link in my bio goes to a Teespring site. We're actually getting a new website built Perfect. right now. That's gonna have a lot of different options. So uh, right now we just have T-shirts and hoodies and stuff like that. But we're coming out with a lot of new stuff that'll be cool, like gear bundles, and it's, uh, it'll be fun. They're comfortable. They're good. It's like soft. We're, like we're, we we got a website, guy, if you need it. We're trying to expand the merch. We're, we're still pretty low, but the, the schmozone.com is where you get the schmo shirts. We got the, the face mask, and I got that schmo shield oh, I that, like I, that. That, I, that I wore, too. I think it was pretty funny, but, yeah, I had time, too. But, uh, man, uh, did you guys have any – I know you're here for Contender Series and everything like that. I know you guys are going to be going to L.A. You got Brendan Schaub's Food Truck Diaries. It's another great show. Any kind of final messages you want to tell the world while you're on the schmo zone, inside the schmo zone, feeling, breathing schmo zone? Uncle T, what are you going to say? Yeah, just keep your eye on the uh, New England cartel. You know, we're, we're making big moves, putting New England on the map. Rob After, Font's back. Rob Font's coming Rob back, back. So we'll have the uh, the three amigos back together. Hopefully we can get these guys on the same card. There's a lot of synergy in camp when both those guys are in training camp. So That's right. Is he bringing his dogs there? Because I remember he was at the DC, DC. fight card. He brought the dogs. <laughs> they brought Luna and Lena or whatever their names are. Little, the guard dogs. Yeah. The guard dogs. <laughs> the guard dogs. Those are, those are ferocious. I'm just kidding. They're friendly. They were cute. Other than that, thanks for having us. Appreciate of course, your time as of always. Of course, man. We got we got a trip to L.A. now. That's we got a trip it. to L.A. So yeah, we uh, recording this a few days before it comes out. In case anybody's wondering, that's all I wanted to say. Any final thoughts, Helen? Thank you guys for coming on. Looking forward to your next fight when it's announced, and of course, Rob's return. Oh yeah, last question. Uh, over under chances of it happening in 2020? You think, Rob? No. Well, oh, him? Me? Calvin, yeah. If, if it was up to Tyson, I'd be fighting tonight. Okay. Or yesterday <laughs> at the Contender Series. This guy keeps me busy, man. I, I Definitely by the end of the year. My my goal after that is to beat fight was 2020, go 3-0. and Right now I'm 2-0, and and I'm eyeing a, a 2020 uh, cap off 3-0. and But, yeah. I, wishful I'm, I'm thinking. Re- wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Perfect plan. He fights Max this fall. Backup plan to that is if Max isn't ready, we really just keep bugging the UFC if they're going to do the ultimate fighter and we coach against Max and then fight him after that. Finally got it out of you, man. That's what I wanted. (laughs) So they are doing that. Well, Dana said a couple weeks ago that it was coming back and soon. So it makes sense, you know? Calvin's a uh, 
the hottest prospect in the division. He's the most active. He's got the most wins in the top 10 since 2019, most knockouts since he joined the UFC in the division. Max is the GOAT. Why not build a big fight between the biggest prospect and the and the GOAT of the division? Winner gets a title shot. You got my vote. You got yeah. Helen's vote. Uh, let's bring back the ultimate fighter that way. I love it. That's a great way to end this show. Cartel vs. Hawaii. Yes, that's Cartel right. Episode 32, Magic Johnson. You were one away from Larry Bird, the Schmozone. Appreciate you guys <laughs> coming on. Predictions on when we'll be back on the Schmozone. What episode? Yeah. Give us a number. Well, it could, it could end up... How, how often do you do episodes? Like once a week. Okay, so I'm gonna say early four, like late thirties, early forties, because Rob does want to get out here this fall, so we'll get him on. Damn, this guy! Wow. Look at this. <laughs> this is why he wears all the hats. Yeah. He's already it. bitching him yeah. back on the show. <laughs> there it is, the Schmo Zone, episode thirty-two. We're out. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.